Welcome to ATRA, Voices from the Field. This sustainable agriculture podcast is presented by the National Center for Appropriate Technologies, ATRA, Sustainable Agriculture Program, with support from the USDA Rural Business Cooperative Service. Hi, I'm Heather Lingle with NCAT. Thank you for joining us. Today's episode, part four of our Direct Marketing Meet series, features a question and answer session with Dave and Jenny Scott. Linda Coffey asks questions submitted by listeners, and Dave and Jenny provide great answers. You will hear some innovative marketing ideas, as well as more information about production practices and nutrition. Dave and Linda are livestock specialists with NCAT's ATRA Sustainable Agriculture Program. Dave works out of NCAT's headquarters in Butte, Montana, and Linda is on staff at NCAT's Southeast Regional Office in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Dave and Jenny are co-owners of Montana Highland Lamb near Whitehall, Montana. Be sure to check out the first three parts of this series. In part one, Dave and Jenny talk about marketing meat and how they started and grew their business. Meat processing was the primary topic in part two, and in part three, the focus was on working with customers, assessing profitability, and deciding on the scale of the enterprise. Now for part four, questions and answers. Let's listen. This is Linda Coffey from NCAT Southeast in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and I'm really happy to be here today to do a special episode answering a listener's questions with Dave and Jenny Scott from Montana Highland Lamb. So we had a listener submit some questions, and I'm just going to ask them and let Dave Scott of our NCAT Montana office uh, answer them. So you ready, Dave? You betcha, Linda. I want to group them like this. She asked some questions, and I am putting them in the order that they would happen on your farm, okay? So first question is, do you band or castrate your rams or leave them intact for faster and fuller growth? Well, Linda, we we band everything coming out of the jug, and the lambs and, and their mothers are in the jugs for two days. And so... When we take the lambs out and and the and the mothers out and put them in a little mix pen, that is a group of of ewes and their lambs, a group of three three ewes. Um, all those lambs get tagged with an ear tag, and they get banded right coming out of the jug there. And so, um, we we feel that we do that, be, or we we do that because we feel it's more humane to to band a male lamb at that time and also band the tails of all lambs at that time because it only hurts for, you know, maybe 10 minutes. And when they get bigger, uh, you know, like say if you were going to band a 100-pound lamb, uh, it's going to hurt a lot longer than that. Um, And so we sort of try to uh, take into consideration what you're doing to the lamb and it's, you know, how it's going to feel to that lamb. And so... When they're small, they don't feel it hardly at all. And the other thing it does is is when that lamb gets to be uh, four or five months of age and it's still out on pasture with a whole bunch of female lambs out there who are just starting to think about coming to heat, you got problems. You know, you got a whole bunch of ewe lambs there that might be bred and you don't want them to be bred because we don't want to send any lambs to slaughter that are pregnant. That's just, no. we just don't feel that's right. 
Um, no. And so by banding early, that that kind of takes care of these considerations. Yeah, and that's what we do on our farm, too. Uh, we band them, like, that first day of age, and for the same reasons. It's more humane, and then we don't have the management issues later on, and uh, that just simplifies simplifies life. <laughs> it simplifies life on the farm, yes. Okay, <laughs> thank you. Now, right. the next the next question is about what kind of feed do you use to finish lambs in addition to grass and hay? And um, Jessica wanted to know the percentage of protein you're aiming for, and I, I want you to, to talk a little bit in detail about what you do and why. Okay. Um, first of all, our lambs are with their mothers on, on grass, and so those lambs just get mother's milk and grass until about the 1st of September. And, and because we live in, live in Montana and have harsh winters, we take all of our, our sheep off of the pastures for the months of September and halfway into October when we have three killing frosts. And so that grass is allowed to rest so it can make it through the winter uh, with enough carbohydrates stored in its roots. So our, that limits our grazing season for as lambs go because after October there is not enough uh, nutrition in that grass to finish a lamb. So about Labor Day when we come off of off our pastures, those lambs go into a corral and they are fed alfalfa hay and a little bit of barley for all the way through the winter until they're finished. Um, so our our alfalfa hay that we feed the lambs, um, that mi- we mix a little bit of grass hay in with it, about 15% uh, is grass hay and seven, or 85% is uh is alfalfa hay that combined ration runs at about 17 to 18 percent crude protein, and with the barley in it. Um, and our philosophy is kind of opposite of what a feedlot is uh, in terms of hay to grain ratio. We just feel that we get a much better tasting lamb if it's treated as a ruminant, even in the finishing stages of its life. So. We have about a pound a day of of grain in that ration, and like say four pounds of hay. Um, and that that grain that we use is barley because in our market there is a lot of resistance to corn and GMO feeds. And regardless of of what we feel about it, it really doesn't matter because we're not the customer. And our customers like non-GMO raised animals. And so uh, that eliminates corn right off the bat. It eliminates soybean meal right off the bat. And so we feed that alfalfa and grass hay ration, and we mix in barley with it. And, uh, and that's why it costs a little bit more. Because, one, there are slower-growing animals uh, because they're mostly on a roughage diet rather than a grain diet. And um, so that kind of increases our costs, but we feel that our product, that's one of the reasons why our product tastes good, is because it grows a little slower and it's not pushed to maturity and finished like it was a pig. And so uh, that's our, the basis of our, of our feeding program during the winter, um, pretty much in a nutshell. It gets us into a little bit of problems sometimes because 
in Montana. Montana is basically a malt barley state um, because of, of all the um, uh, cottage brewing uh, industry that's grown around it. It used to be producing a lot of feed barley, but now it's probably 90% malt barley. And so we have a trouble, a little bit of trouble accessing uh, feed barley. But so far we've been able to do it. Good. Okay. Well, well, thank you for that. I know you shared that this has driven up your cost for for barley, yeah. and and that yeah. that's one of the things you had to uh, incorporate into your pricing strategy. It's just as your costs rise, you've got to look at that. Right. Okay? And, thank and, you. And to and to emphasize again, Linda, you know, it what really determines what kind of lamb we have. Uh, is our is our processing costs because we in our case we can't we can't uh sell or process a lamb that's 90 to 100 pounds because the processing cost takes too much of that that expense out of it right or or adds right. too much to the expense so we because of that we are in that that position of of having to have a larger frame lamb which means that we can't finish it on our grass pastures because our grass pastures quit growing about September, <laughs> and that's not enough right. time. So it's it's right. just a little you know regional thing that we in Montana uh, have to abide by. And all of our listeners are going to have to look at their own regional impacts. How long is your growing season? What kind of forage base do you have? What sort of feeds are available and at what cost? What does your customer want? Right. Uh, in some right. places, customers prefer that smaller lamb, um, and in others, they they just want a cheaper lamb chop. So, uh, very good, very good, good things to think about. Uh, next question from Jessica was about low stress handling, and she was talking about loading particularly. But uh, you and I discussed really. It's not just the loading, it's the handling throughout the life of that lamb. So I wonder if you would talk about that for a minute or two. Sure. We we really uh, believe in low-stress livestock handling, and the basic premise of, of that is you really need to treat your animals in a kind fashion in from the day they're born. And so... That means at the time when you load them up and they're ready to go to the processor, they they are used to you. They know that you're not going to treat treat them unkindly, so they have a confidence in you when you work with them. And so uh, that whole the whole less low stress handling uh, philosophy has to start, you know, right from the day they're born. Mm-hmm. And if if you do that, then things just go so much easier. And yeah, I, I guess I could low... expand on that. I could expand on that a little bit. Is you know our lambs are they're vaccinated. They you know twice. Just we just vaccinate for um, um, C and D and tetanus at about three weeks of age, and then again at about you know five or six weeks later. So they go through the the handling facilities those two times. And they don't go through those handling facilities again till about September. But then starting September, starting around, you know, this middle of October, 
all of those lambs go through that handling facility once a week uh, to check for back fat. And so after a while, it becomes a game to them, you know, and they're very easily run right through the chute and stop and put the hand on them, and then they go out the chute, and it's, it's, it's really easy. And so when they are their day comes and they're loaded up for processing, it's just very easy. You know, it's the same thing. It's not a new thing to them. Yeah, you know, we have the same thing on a much smaller scale on our farm where we're taking them through our system, which is, again, much smaller. Um, and, and it is so interesting how quickly they do learn the drill because the first time through it's kind of a kind of a zoo, but the second, third, fourth, you can just feel them getting comfortable with it and understanding that you're not going to hurt them. It's just, And by the time they are finished weight, yes, our lambs go through very easily. My husband can handle them by himself. Well, he mm -hmm. does anyway, even when they're not going easily. He often <laughs> will do that. So, um, yes, that's good. Having a system that your animals can get used to, and, and that includes, for some people, that includes loading um, for others, they just have those animals that are calm, and I think I think rotational grazing helps a great deal with that. Don't you agree, Dave? Oh yeah, having animals do, that are calm and, and yeah, yeah, they know. You know, if you're the shepherd and and you're out there um, moving them from paddock to paddock, they know that every time you go out there, something good happens. You know, so right. they have a lot of confidence in you. Um, mm -hmm. And since we move our, our sheep out on the pastures every day, they get a chance to see us every day. You know, and that there's a bond there between the shepherd and the sheep. And the other thing is yeah. we try to continue that bond in the winter months when we're feeding hay in the corrals. Uh, whenever mm -hmm. I feed hay or push up hay, I always talk to the sheep. You know, I always ah. say, good sheep and share my day with them so they know my voice and, you know, they're happy sheep. You're the guy that brings them good things. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Great. So the next three questions all have to do with products. So we've talked about, you know, what you do like near birth and then feeding and then handling. Now let's ask these questions. Uh, what do you do with your hides or your pelts? And uh, there was a question also about, or do you shear? So uh, you or Jenny, either one, could talk about about that issue. Well, what we do, Linda, is is we have all of our lambs are either white faced, that is just run of the mill wool. Uh, it's about twenty five, twenty six micron wool. Wool. Um, there's um, not a huge demand is for a, a high quality product and so our pelts our lambs um, we have to keep the wool on them we can't shear them uh, when we shear we shear in February and it, uh, our lambs that are still there that are market lambs uh, for retail we don't shear them because if we sheared them <laughs> they freeze to death you know uh -huh. so, yes we, we keep the wool on them, and unfortunately, we don't have a market for the pelts. Um, we've looked into it, and it actually would cost us more to drive up uh, to Great Falls, which is about 200 miles away, more for the fuel than it would we would get from, you know, a load of pelts. So 
uh, we just have to sacrifice our pelts. However, um, it does vary. I've got a friend that um, that has a direct market into Yellowstone National Park, and they have um, a different breed of sheep, uh, Icelandics, which are known for their beautiful pelts. And so what he does is every every lamb that's processed for him the processor will go the extra mile and and salt that pelt and put it into a boxcar that they got um and so pear just goes down every few weeks or so and gathers the pelts up and they're already salted for him and then he sends them off to uh a uh, uh another processor to have those pelts made into a very beautiful pelt that he can sell and he goes out every year to the to Portland, Oregon at the Fiber Fest there and sells them for a very high price. So it just depends on the sheep that you have and how far you want to go to the market for it. Uh, you're not going to sell even a beautiful Icelandic pelt in Montana very easily for a good price. <laughs> Right, so recognizing, again, what, what your customers are going to want and what they'll pay for. Uh, I thought that was a really cool story about about your friend with the Icelandics and um, the, a place that does processes in, in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. And by the time you yeah. figured in your, your time, your labor, your, your shipping, the cost of processing, you know, them shipping it back to you, there there's some cost to incur, but that is another opportunity for making money, um, it just, as you said, just depends on on how much you can go through and also how you can how you can sell them. He says he averages about a hundred dollars a pelt net by the time all of his costs are paid. You know, sending them out mm-hmm. to Box County and then driving out to Portland, which is about an eight-hour drive, and staying there the night or two, and then driving all the way back. So, you know, mm-hmm. that's a that's another lamb. You know, play, in place of a lamb, he's selling a pelt. Right. Which just goes to show you, there's a lot of ways to to uh, skin the cat, you might say. <laughs> I think it's I think it's one of the really fan, fascinating things about sheep too that there is a breed for whatever you want, right? It's like yeah. so many different products and benefits of of a breed, and you just have to find the one that fits with your system and with your customers and what with what you want to do. Cool. Yeah. All right. Next question. That's very what true. do you mm-hmm. what do you do with your offal, your bones, your fat? And are your chefs interested in any of that? Well, unfortunately no. The offals it's pretty much a, a waste product and in Montana that's really becoming an issue because the commodity the company that used to take all the waste the offal for cattle and for sheep no longer is going to do that. And so uh, processors have two choices. Either they can haul the offal to the dump uh, or they can compost it. And composting seems to be the sustainable answer because a lot of these dumps are saying, starting to say no, no more offal. And so uh, I think that's the way it's going to happen in Montana is there's going to be a lot more composting of offal. Uh, as far as the other um, cuts like the organs, kidneys, liver, and heart um we do make our best effort to um get those back 
and then to somehow um, market them and um, and it just it's an ongoing you know education uh, educational thing for us to learn how to do that. Um, we do get uh, some call uh, in the Asian market. Hearts are very uh, desirable, and so we do sell some hearts that way. Um, just as an example of how your market can change, just a few days ago we got called a call from uh, a sled dog uh, musher who has uh, placed three times in the Iditarod, and I think the the closest, highest placing was three, third place. Wow. And she's a woman, and this is overall, too. Uh, she has oh, 100 wow. huskies that she's feeding, and she called us and wanted to know if we had any hearts and fat. And so uh, we did have some hearts, and we've never kept the fat, but we're going to start keeping the fat for her. And She's willing to pay a nominal price for it, and every little bit that you can you can shave off of that cost of processing helps. You know, it it might be five dollars a lamb that she's that she's saving in our expense of processing, but it's something. And so, yeah. it just goes to show that you never know what's going to happen. You know, keep your <laughs> keep your ears open. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's that's awesome. All right. Cool, um, and but, mm-hmm. and plus, Linda, it, it really is a neat thing to be selling some lamb to some dogs that are are winning in the Iditarod. I mean, how cool no can kidding. that be? <laughs> okay, so Dave, that is so cool. Well, the last question, and then we'll wrap up. Is uh, what cuts do you dedicate to ground and uh, to be sure it tastes good and turns a profit? And I wondered if you and your processor have a certain percentage of lean that you're aiming for. Um, and so if you would just talk through your thought process on how you decide what goes into grind. Sure. Um, we, we put all, all of our trim goes to grind. Um, and the trim is, is what's left over after they debone uh, the, the legs and the shoulders and any other muscles that, that, are, just, that are trimmed off plus the fat that's with them. Um, and that is, that is the least expensive way to make Lamberger. Um, if you need more, or if you wanted to, and I should say if, if you make Lamberger out of trim, at least our lambs, it's, it's around that 85% uh, lean category. If you want to mm-hmm. up it into 90%, you're going to have to take some of your shoulders, say, maybe even some of your legs, and and uh, put them into your grind, too. Um, that's the only way I know of to up that uh, into a 90% lean. Fortunately, our customers, they like that 85% uh, uh, leanness to it, and so we don't have to, to take any meat from our shoulders or our legs, which are high, higher value cuts. And for example, we sell our 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 Lamberger at seven twenty five for to restaurants a pound and our our legs are nine twenty five and our shoulder boneless roasts are eight seventy five. So if we had to take some of our of all those higher value cuts, 
and put them in the grind, then our overall value of our lamb decreases. Um, so that's what we do um, as far as our cuts for grind. Uh, we generally average about 10 to 14 pounds of grind on an animal that, say, is 130-pound live weight for it. 10, 10 to 14 pounds per animal? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, yeah, and it really depends. Know. Yeah, if you cut your shoulders into kebabs, just the way if you cut them, we cut ours into inch and a half cubes, and just the way the shoulder is configured, there's going to be some parts of that shoulder that you can't get an inch and a half cube out of it, so that goes to trim, which ends up mm. as grind. So it's going to vary. If you cut, if you cut your shoulders into kebabs, you're going to have more grind, but you're going to have less kebabs. For instance, uh, we on our shoulders, our typical lamb gives us four and a half pounds, maybe to five pounds of shoulder, and we got two of them. If we cut those two shoulders into kebabs, we're only going to get four, maybe five pounds of kebabs. So we're losing about, uh, what is it, probably four pounds of meat in making those shoulders uh, into kebabs, but that meat goes into grind. So we have four pounds more grind. Um, so that that's a good example is, is you know, we might we might sell our, our shoulders at eight seventy five a pound for for a rolled roast. We've got to charge more for the kebabs, even though it's made from the same cut um, or part of the animal in, to make up that difference. And, yeah, and I can, those I can are see the that. things yeah, those are the things, the little small nuances that the lambulator really identifies for you. Mm-hmm. I'm always impressed at the data that you collect, Dave, and the things that you have learned from it. Because, like, you you know what you know exactly what you're getting from those lambs, and that's knowledge is power. Well, thank you very much, Dave, and thank you, listeners. Please, if you do have questions, send them to us. We will be happy to address those in a future episode, or we might have Dave write something up, too, uh, if it's a commonly asked question. So thank you very much, and I appreciate your time. Let us know if you have questions or ideas for things that you'd like to learn, um, because we at Voices in the Field really want to respond to what you need. So, Dave and Jenny, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Linda, and thank you all for listening. Thank you for listening to ATRA, Voices from the Field. Depending on the platform you're listening on, if you can, be sure to rate us and leave a review or comment. For more information on this topic, you can contact Dave Scott or Linda Coffey directly. Dave can be reached at davess at ncat.org. That's D-A-V-E-S at N-C-A-T dot O-R-G. Linda can be contacted at lindac at ncat dot org. That's L-I-N-D-A-C at N-C-A-T dot O-R-G. In the notes below, you'll find links to ATRA resources and publications related to marketing meat. Please call ATRA with any and all of your sustainable agriculture questions at 1-800-346-9140 or email us at askanag at ncat.org. That's A-S-K-A-N-A-G at N-C-A-T dot O-R-G.
Our two dozen specialists can help you with a vast array of topics, everything from farm planning to pest management, produce to livestock, and soils to aquaculture. You can get in touch with them and find our other extensive and free sustainable agriculture publications, webinars, videos, and other resources at ATRA's website at www.atra.ncat.org. That's www.attra.ncat.org. We'll catch you next week, and until then, keep on farming.